0: My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Have you ever thought, all of this self-love, body positive stuff sounds great and all, Sean, but I ultimately still want to lose weight? Can intuitive eating help me with that? Or you've been saying to yourself, I'm not really worried about vanity or being super thin. I truly just want to be healthy. Does this non-diet approach really make sense for me? Or you've just been really frustrated with yourself, frustrated with your body, and you're just not totally sure how to get out of the diet cycle. If you're feeling stuck in the diet cycle, are interested in learning more about intuitive eating, but don't know really where to start, or you're feeling frustrated, lonely, and uncomfortable in your body, listen up. I am hosting a brand new free masterclass that is going to be delivered live for a very short period of time in the last two weeks of March. In this live masterclass, I'm going to be answering the top five questions that I get all of the time about intuitive eating and a non-diet approach. So you're going to learn what intuitive eating is and how it impacts your weight. This is a topic that a lot of people don't explicitly talk about, but we're going to cover it um, in in this class. We're also going to learn why so many of us get stuck in the diet binge cycle, even if we truly are doing it to improve our health, not just trying to be thin. We're going to talk about why simple habit changes can feel so darn hard. And we're going to talk about this little known secret factor that is most likely holding you back from optimal wellness. I do these live masterclasses very rarely, so this is a very unique opportunity to come hang out with me, learn, have fun, get all your questions answered about these crucial topics. Even if you can't make the times available, be sure to still sign up. You'll get a replay sent to you the following day. I and my team work really hard to make these trainings packed with the most important information that I've learned personally and professionally over the past 18 years or so of doing this work, and I cannot wait to share it with you. Additionally, for the first time ever, there's a special bonus as part of this live masterclass. If you're able to show up live, I'm actually going to be breaking down some of the top products that I get asked about. And none of these products are products that pay me. I have no affiliate income from these products. You're just going to get my honest opinion about the pros and cons of different products, such as the Peloton app, such as Noom, such as some meal delivery services, And you're going to get my thoughts about how you can look at the pros and cons for yourself and decide if it's worth investing your money into these types of services. So that's going to be a really valuable bonus that you will get if you come to the masterclass. And finally, at the very end of the masterclass, I'm going to be talking about my group coaching program, the Body Respect program. This is a program that I'm incredibly proud of, and we start a new cohort of people in early April. So if you want to hear a little bit more about that and all that is involved in this incredible experience, then you'll want to make sure you sign up for the masterclass and check that out. So make sure that you sign up today for free by going to the link in the show notes or by going to drshawnhondorp.com forward slash masterclass. That's D-R-S-H-A-W-N-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash masterclass for this totally free value-packed training. I can't wait to see you there. And as usual, before we dive into today's episode, just a reminder that this podcast and corresponding blog are for informational and educational purposes only and should never be construed as any form of professional advice. If you need support in figuring out how these topics apply to you, please be sure to seek out a professional in that area to help you do so. All right, let's dive in. All right. So welcome back everyone to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. We have a very special guest today, Samantha Barish. And do you go by Sam or Samantha? Sam. (sighs) I just said both. No, I I go
1: by both. Um, Formally, I always say Samantha, but most people call me Sam.
0: Okay. What do you prefer I call you? (laughs) Formally, we'll go with Samantha. Okay. Deal. How's that? Maybe by the end, we'll get to the same basis. We'll see. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Samantha. Well, welcome. So excited to be having this conversation with you today. So I'd love to just dive right in and get some background about you. Can you tell us your story? Who is Samantha and what is she all about?
1: Sure. So my name is Samantha. I am a non-diet, intuitive eating, registered dietitian out in the Metro Detroit area. Um, I found intuitive eating through my own disordered eating and struggling relationship with food and my body. Um, and after working in the dietetic space in a more clinical realm and a community realm, I found that my heart was really in intuitive eating and helping people find a healthy relationship with food and their bodies and how important that is and how much we can, help people elicit change when we're able to do it from those philosophies. And thus tap into nutrition was found. So I've been in private practice for a little over a year now, um, specializing in chronic dieting, intuitive eating, disordered eating and eating disorders.
0: Nice. And did you make the switch? Um, are you recently graduated and kind of on your own, or it sounds like you were in some other clinical realms before you kind of found this, how, like, how recently did you make the switch to find this intuitive eating type approach?
1: Sure. So interestingly enough, I, I was in working clinically for a while. So I was working in a hospital setting immediately out of my internship. And then I moved to a community setting, um, working at more of a senior center. And while I was in the community setting, I had the opportunity to share with the dietitians on our team about intuitive eating and health at every size approaches. So I was able to come up with some trainings and, um, we spent a lot of time, especially in the beginning of the pandemic doing virtual trainings on intuitive eating. And I really found that I was good at it. I really enjoyed it. And I was passionate about it. And it was becoming one of my favorite things to do, whether it was just training the other dietitians or talking about it with our clients or other healthcare um, members of the care team. So ultimately that's what made me realize, okay, if this is giving me so much joy and I'm finding that I'm so passionate about this, this is something that I need to consider doing on my own. And I've always wanted to go into private practice, um, as, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but when I first, you know, I became a dietitian because I wanted to help people lose weight. Right. Like that was, that was the goal. And so seeing how that's, um, changed and I'm in private practice, but now it's from, a weight inclusive approach is so, so interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious when you were doing these trainings, was it in those settings? Was it well received or I I've talked about this before in the podcast. I have this misconception that like dietitians are, have more background in intuitive eating than psychologists. And I'm curious your thoughts on that.
1: You know, I think it's, Yes. And no, I think as dietitians, there's always this piece of, you know, we don't believe in diets and that's pretty consistent amongst most dietitians and the idea that, you know, no, um, everything in moderation, I would say that's what a lot of dietitians preach. And that's one of those things that I think back on. And I cringe that I used to say that so much. Um, and now I think it's very important to make sure that as an intuitive eating dietitian that works with folks who are already struggling with their relationships with food, to say everything in moderation. I mean, moderation is a form of deprecation, right? Like, there's you're depriving yourself in, in a way if you're saying motive, um, moderation. So, I think that is uh, for the most part where most dietitians stand. But, you know, I think that there's still a lot of dietitians that feel that weight loss is, um, is necessary to sustain health or to become healthier. And, um, sometimes we come at it at a much too restrictive approach, but yeah, it, they were, they were receptive to it, but mostly they had a lot of questions and that's really what helped me get so specialized in this area was how many questions I was answering, because that's where the real, that's how I knew that they were really listening and they wanted to know more. And that challenged me to really explore the, the beliefs of a weight, um, inclusive approach and, you know, the science and understanding the background behind it.
0: Nice. Yeah. I always like to try to like, get a pulse on people's opinion and where they think things are because it's sort of a point of curiosity of mine because we all have our own worlds that we work in and we all have our own experiences with where we feel like things are. And I think when we immerse ourselves in a a more non-diet approach world, then it's uh, sometimes can give us this picture. And then we get surprised sometimes when we go outside and we're like, oh, actually like a lot of people still don't get this. But I am glad that um, I think most people just want to help their- clients or the like patients or whoever they're helping so that like, they are like, I'm just trying to understand and wrap their heads around this. That's makes sense. Um, so, but, um, and I guess going back though, to understand your story a little bit more, you mentioned your own history with disordered eating. Um, what was your relationship with food and body like, oh, when you were younger growing up, when did you first notice kind of a, uh, discord there? Sure. Um, you know, it really didn't, I, I grew up pretty lucky
1: in that I didn't have like a mom who was talking negatively about her body, um, and was constantly on the next diet. Um, but I didn't know, I noticed the little things and this really shows me how strong those little things can still, you know, cause damage. And we don't, we don't even realize it as, Mm -hmm. as parents, but I noticed little things, um, maybe the way that, you know, she went shopping or the way that she would eat a portion of food versus how much I would eat little things like that. Um, but mostly my influence, what, what led me to dieting was definitely the pressures from society. I remember at a pretty young age, realizing that, Thinness is the best and you, you know, you don't want to gain weight and gaining weight would mean that I would be less valuable. And as a child who struggles with, um, confidence and wanting to fit in and, you know, look a certain way and act a certain way, um, You know, I, I had, I'm not, I don't have that like traditional blonde hair, blue, eye look, you know, I, I always had that curly hair and I've always just had a pretty normal build. Um, but I think, you know, striving for thinness made me feel like I could fit fit in, right. Like that Mm -hmm. was really validating for me. Um, It doesn't
0: take that much at home per se. I mean, some of it can be those little comments adding up or like even just little noticing where kind of diet culture gets Infused into the home in these subtle ways, but even if that wasn't the case, it doesn't—it it doesn't always mean we're protected because we can buy into um, it, particularly if those messages aren't like neutralized in some way. Which hopefully we're making a little shifts there, but like it's—that's pretty rare for our parents to have learned this. I mean, pretty much no one was learning this stuff back when our parents were were growing up, and and uh, yeah, so. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And I kind of interrupted you. I don't know if you were going to go anywhere else with that, but it's just interesting how much it's there's variability and it's just not that hard to internalize the diet culture. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's one of those things too, where like that um there was a
1: cultural piece of it too, of like wanting to of wanting to fit in and feel accepted. And a lot of us can find that control through manipulating our intake or, you know, Mm -hmm. manipulating our body size. Um, And also just the messaging that we hear from the media of, you know, if we're sitting and watching these commercials of all these weight loss ads and weight watchers, then obviously that's something that, you know, we, we don't want to have to get to. Right. So there's that message at a super young age. And I think that's the strongest, those were the strongest influences that, that I had. Um, and so I, I remember just starting little, Little diets. Um, I spent a lot of time reading magazines, um, researching random things on, on Google, um, and then in high school, I just found myself very obsessive um, about food, and I would I would go through seasons, I suppose, of it being better or worse in my relationship with food and my body. And now that I look back on it now, it probably was related to other things that were going on in my life, right? Whether friends or family or school. Um, I went to college and I wanted to go to school to be a dietitian. And I was, you know, I'm going to help people be skinny. And that shows you, that shows me how valuable I thought people being thin was in that I, I wanted to pursue that as a career. Like, that's what I thought that my life purpose should be. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I definitely didn't really understand, um, you know, that body diversity naturally exists at that point. You know, I grew up in a family who ate pretty, um, varied diet. And so I just always thought that, you know, that just validates in my young mind that, you know, a varied diet and moderation is how you are healthy and how you are, you don't gain weight. And, um, in college, you know, that I don't know how, how much you've heard about the nutrition education, but the dietetic education is like your roadmap to an eating disorder. Um, it's just, it's very, much rooted in diet culture in the sense of just finding way too much information about nutrition, just a lot of information about nutrition and getting a lot of mixed messages about nutrition. And, um, I was very obsessive and very controlling about what I was eating and what I wasn't eating. And, um, that turned into, um, an obsession with exercise and, running. And, um, it was definitely a way of controlling my own anxiety in college. Um, and the stress of schoolwork to be able to control that with exercise and, you know, counting every single morsel that goes into my mouth. Um, but what I found was that it was, it was just debilitating. Like it was just taking over. Um, and, never
0: heard that term, like that described that way before of like dietetics or nutrition training being that roadmap. That's um like very astute and also pretty terrifying because uh, often people go into that field already with some predisposition. And it's like, that totally makes sense um, because yeah. And I actually, I went, I actually went to Michigan state as well. I saw that in your bio. And um, although I don't know, I'm, 36. I don't know how much of an age difference we have, but, um, I went in wanting to study kind of just taking some like psychology, nutrition and like health related classes. And it's, it's just interesting because I I wasn't as drawn. I took some nutrition classes for sure. And I was interested, but I wasn't as drawn to the details about nutrition. And I would say I still uh, maintain somewhat of a balance with that, but it's again, it still wasn't like enough to keep me from like, that's definitely when things got probably, if not worse, they didn't get better for me. They, they just continued throughout college. And so um, I actually just interviewed my interns about their experiences more recently in college. And like, I was like, it's better, right? Like it's, we're, we're doing uh. better, right? And they're like, no. And uh. I, I was like, oh no. I mean, it's, I I think at least I can, maybe it's just my optimism, like lying to myself, but anyways, it's just, it's too bad that that continues to be inherent in the training, but it's really probably the most consistent message that I've learned on this podcast in the past year is like, yeah, we continue to be, it's infused in all of the ways we're taught and trained and um, we don't even realize, and I would say definitely the ways I was taught maintained my disordered eating for as long as it did for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's so sad and scary because we're the ones that are supposed to be going out there and helping people cultivate these healthy lifestyles Mm -hmm. when it makes sense that there's so much confusion and stress because I mean, we're confused and we're stressed and we're frustrated when we're getting this advice because part of a lot of us know that you know, we don't really know how to lose weight. I mean, you know, don't eat as much cake or, you know, watch your portions, right. Drink more water. And then we kind of like ran out of the room. I felt like that was what most of like my early ages of a dietitian was. And that's really what made me, makes me so passionate about intuitive eating and the health at every size approaches is because it's so inviting and it really lets It feels like, oh my gosh, there is a way to achieve health. There is a way to feel motivated to eat vegetables. I don't have to lose weight to prove that I'm healthy or that I'm eating well, or that I'm, I'm exercising. Right. It's that invitation to be healthy right here, right now. And I think that the more that we can teach intuitive eating and make it a part of the dietetic education and schooling and set people up for success um, early on. You know, and I, I think there's this thing of like, and you know, you hear so much that, oh, that intuitive eating is just eat whatever you want, right? Like, we don't, right. we're, yeah. you don't,
0: we can't be teaching people about intuitive eating. That's and, not healthy, quote unquote. Like, that's a, the quote that you hear, like, that's all good and everything, body positivity for sure, but that's not healthy. Right, right, and I keep going back to this place of, at the end of the day, I'm just
1: a dietitian. I, I'm just valuing nutrition, and all I'm doing that that might feel different is I'm taking the morality out of it. We're just finding a way to make it more approachable, and we're finding a way to take morality, shame, um, fear, anxiety. We're looking at the full picture health, right? We're honoring Mm -hmm. mental health is just as important as physical health, but intuitive eating is there's nothing about it. That is saying that, you know, you're, you just eating whatever you want, whenever you want, is going to mean that you're eating Cheetos and Oreos and crap all day. If that were the case, that's not intuitive eating, like continuing to bring people back to that. And if we're, if we have the ability to have numerous courses in in the dietetic curriculum so that we're able to drive that home to answer all those questions then. And then we have a bunch of those intuitive eating warriors just running around, you know, I almost wish that we could, like, I love that we've coined it as intuitive eating and I love the concepts. And I, I think the workbook is incredible. It's always sitting on my work on my desk and ready, um, for in session if someone, wants to walk through it. But at the end of the day, intuitive eating is just normal human being eating, right. It's, Mm -hmm. it's just normal eating. And all we're doing is, is stripping people back from unlearning everything that they've heard or seen, or from, you know, well-meaning parents or well-meaning school systems. It's, it's just stripping us back to that innate self.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Internalizing like that process that, was at some point in your life there and at some point got taken away. And it's just, yeah, it's, it, it shouldn't be so thought intensive.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then it's also helpful, you know, to, if you are finding this work when you have young children, because you can watch your children eat, right. Cause oh, yeah, it's fun. They, yeah. And I got two
0: of them to watch and, and learn from just watching the experience. Luckily I'm like removed from my, my disorder eating struggle several years. And, and it's, but either way, I think children teach us and teach my clients working on this a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: so cool. And you know, it, it gives you that it gives you, it gives you some faith, right? Yeah. And you're letting your kids know, you know, I trust you, and you can trust yourself when you have healthy relationships with food, as yeah. the parent, but also as teaching and showing through example with the child. Like, yeah, we can we can put the cookie on the plate, right? Like, I trust that you know what to do. I trust that you know yeah. what to report.
0: Yeah, just the other day, my like, we got a lot of Girl Scout cookies in our house right now, right? And um, I, my daughter was up. My son is younger; he already went to bed and. Uh, she there was only three left in the box and she was like how many can I have and I was like well there's three left but like she actually asked for three and I was like well hey look at look at this we have three and um she was like I'm gonna save one for William like she just was like I'm all set like it was just the cutest thing and I don't know there's like some of her trying to like be be a helpful sister which is just sort of different than relationship with food but it was like she was just like it's this fear that we have that like if we and maybe she would eat more if I gave her more, but like, that's okay too. And it's just, it's very freeing as a parent. I'll I'll say that. Like, I'm definitely glad I found this approach before becoming a parent because it's fun. It's fun to just, and we don't have girls cookies all the time, every time. So it is a little bit of like a special thing just because they're seasonal. Right. (laughs) And so anyway,
1: no, I immediately thought, I didn't even realize it was Girl Scout season. I didn't, I have not gotten any Girl Scout
0: cookies. (laughs) Yeah. I just ordered them, I think last week from my friend online and they just came. It's very exciting. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah. Um, And I want to go back to what you said about your daughter, the fact that she left one for your son, it shows you too, that she still sees food as emotional, which is normal and good, right? Mm -hmm. Like she still sees that like my brother would really enjoy this and I would enjoy sharing it with him. And mm-hmm. that's the sweetest thing too, right? It to totally be able is. to not look at food as scary or, um, as a reward, but just like
0: she wants to give it to him because she loves him like yeah. the cutest thing. Ever. Yes. Right. Like, cause that's, I mean, I spend a lot of time in behavioral weight loss, um, programs, uh, a lot of my training and a lot of what we would teach is sort of like helping people navigate that like food as love um, dynamic that happens, right? Like when families want to like share their food with you. And I mean, of course we want people trusting if like, if you're full and you really don't want that food, like you absolutely should be able to say like, I'm, I'm really good. Thank you so much. And, and to some extent, I guess what we were teaching wasn't bad, but it it did miss that what you're capturing this like idea mm-hmm. of just like, it doesn't have to be scary, like you said, and it doesn't have to be bad and, and like sort of labeling them as the food pushers. And it's like, no, they're just like sharing their love and, and you get to honor your body and decide if you want to eat something. But yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 All good points. Well, I want to talk a bit about your role as your lead instructor at Cycle Bar Studio in Metro Detroit, which you mentioned. And um, you had also kind of mentioned to me in our emails that this is an inclusive space. It sounds like you've been a part of some of the shifts that have occurred at the studio. And I, I'm wondering if you can explain for us what it means to be an inclusive space and talk about why that is important to consider um, kind of with a focus on movements and exercise.
1: Sure.
0: Well. Can I start by giving a little bit of the
1: backstory of my um, my relationship with fitness and exercise too?
0: Yes, please. Um,
1: and yes, I think please. this is something that we 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 miss a lot when we talk about intuitive eating and health at every size is we don't tap into how much that movement piece is a part of it, mm-hmm. and how much that movement piece exists in diet culture and exists in the fitness world and how many people feel like once they leave diet culture or once they leave, um, these unhealthy relationships with their body and they find movement that they enjoy, or they find, um, you know, the intuitive eating or health at every size approaches is that they feel like they don't really have a safe place to go to exercise anymore. And how can we, you know, make those fitness studios more inclusive in the sense that they're welcoming to all body types. Mm -hmm. Um, the intimidation factor doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, accepting the idea that not everyone works out to lose weight. Not everyone works out to change their body. And that There's really no morality
0: brings to exercise just to kind yes. <laughs> of to go back oh. to what you were saying of taking morality out of it. Like, cause you hear so often like the good job, like you're doing mm-hmm. or like, and that tends to be, that can be an uh, illustration of weight stigma too. So
1: absolutely. And
0: what happens when
1: someone feels shame about food or their diet they stop and they go the opposite direction, right? Like we, we do black and white thinking with food. We do black and white thinking with exercise too. You know, there's a reason why people do things for a certain amount of weeks and then they fall off of it because there's so much pressure associated with it. There's so much, um, of this idea of, oh my gosh, you've been coming for X amount of days. That's so amazing. And, you know, you feel great about it. And then when you don't go, it's that total opposite effect of so much shame and, embarrassment maybe. And it's it just drives that same unhealthy relationship with food and diet culture to an unhealthy relationship with our bodies and unhealthy relationship with the gym. Yeah. Um and so exercise and movement has always been a very important thing to me. And through my own journey, you know, something that I always wanted to go back to something that I've really always had that um, that love and desire for, regardless of the change that it had on my body or it didn't have on my body was movement and um, strenuous movement. It's It's fun for me. I love the community sense of it, but I didn't really feel welcomed in that space anymore. Even as a nutrition professional, I did not feel like it was a place for me to, um, exist in anymore that, you know, it was too harmful or there, it was too, um, rooted in diet culture that I wouldn't be able to enjoy it. And I didn't want to participate in it. And on a whim, I kind of applied and I went to the first session of, of tryouts and I was I was so on edge and nervous of what are these conversations going to be like? What are these girls going to be talking about? What are they? We're we're going to be eating lunch together. What are they going to be eating? What aren't they going to be eating? Can I, can I do this? Like, am I in a place that I can dive into this world? And I had some really good conversations the first few days of trainings. And, you know, they were, they were, everyone was really receptive and interested, um, which was really welcoming and um, comforting for me. Um, I started teaching and, you know, there was this idea of, okay, Sam, like how are you going to show up in this space and not feel pressure to look a certain way, to not feel pressure to say the right things or say the wrong things. Um, And I really just through the cycle bar brand, they really encourage you to be authentic and to be yourself. And they do market themselves as an entire brand as being very inclusive and welcoming, but that's, I I wanted a level up of that. I wanted to make it very clear that we would never be a studio that said, come here to burn your dinner or earn that, earn that piece of cake or get that bikini body. And I, I've been there for two years now, and I recently became the lead instructor. And what we've identified amongst the team is that we all practice in that way now. And we've all been able to transition into this really welcoming and accepting space and in a world of cycling, which is, can be very intimidating for people, especially with know, Peloton taking over in the last couple of years, um, yeah. And so to see that we've been able to make cycling something that feels approachable, and you know, knowing that you're showing up there, and we're going to meet you where you're at. We're not expecting you to to do everything that we say, but we're going to approach it from a place of let's let's meet you where you're at, and then if it feels right, then you're you're going it's going to make them feel good. Right. And it's going to make them want to come back. So it's the idea of, instead of using shame in the same way that we don't use shame to elicit change with food, we're also not going to use shame in the fitness space. And I think that's really helped us build a community that feels welcomed and accepted and like they, they belong.
0: I'm curious how like, were you part of spearheading this and how was this communicated? It sounds like it was a relatively positive transition, but like, what did that look like?
1: It was completely organic. Okay. It was completely organic and that it was just, a, it was kind of one of those days where I blinked and I realized, oh my gosh, we've, we've done this. Like we've, we've created this in this space and we've, we've made this, huh. this, this, energy. Yeah. And you know, I, it's, it's something that really evolved with me and my business and me being more confident in talking about nutrition. And there, there was definitely a period where I would be on the mic and I'd be teaching a class and I didn't want to, I was afraid that I would sound like I was preachy about intuitive eating or about body positivity or or those concepts. And so I, there was a point where I really wasn't sharing. And then I realized that I wasn't being authentic because I wasn't sharing. And once I was able to open up more, it felt like everyone was able to just drop their shoulders a little bit more. And we all kind of came to this place of, okay, this is the norm here. Like this is, this is what we do in this studio.
0: i am yeah. Do you have a sense of why that I I have some guesses, but like, do you have a sense of why that worked so well?
1: I think it just comes back to the idea of people want to feel good. Mm -hmm. They want to feel welcomed. They want to feel like they belong. They don't want to walk into a gym and feel like it's obvious that it's their first day or that they, you know, don't look like they fit in. Like, we want to make sure that, you know, we're all, there's lots of diversity in the way that we, we look too. And the people that we're bringing in, like, yes, you exactly the way that you are, you fit in here. And we're not going to say that you have to do X, Y, and Z so that you can stay like, you're perfectly great the way that you are just keep coming back. Like we want to see you in this exact form of you. We don't, we're not here to change you. We, we love you just the way you are, but keep coming back.
0: I'm like getting like goosebumps and like emotional as you're talking, because (laughs) I feel like that who doesn't want to feel that, like, that's literally what we talk about in this podcast is the three key psychological needs for like long-term change. And one of them is relatedness and a sense of belonging and that makes sense right like I think we inherently know that like we're wired for connection we're here for connection and yet there's very like you were saying earlier there's this is rare and certainly in fitness communities right and it's kind of fascinating from like a how perspective but like regardless of how I mean like you said I think probably the how is like because people like feeling good and it was reinforcing. It's just interesting to me that it didn't even have to be this explicit thing per se. Or maybe there was some sort of like company values stated somewhere that you were abiding by, maybe I don't know, or maybe not. Like and maybe it was just some of you continuing to be authentic kind of had this like ripple effect too. It sounds like maybe that was a bit of it. I don't know. But it's it's very cool regardless. Yeah. It
1: <laughs> and there we did have a change in um in leadership. Um, at one point, And there was an instructor that joined our team and took lead with us. Um, and her name is Erica. And she really brought a lot of authenticity to the team. And I think she invited everyone to be more authentic in themselves. And that also is very much encouraged by the cycle bar brand of like, show up as who you are. People want to know who you are. They don't want to know this like fake fitness version of you. They want to know they don't want to see what you want them to see. They want to see what's, what you actually are, what, what your values are, what you care about, what's going on in your life. Um, and so I will say that she really came in there and, and pushed me into this idea of like, I can be genuinely who I am. Like, I, I don't have to fit this fitness mold and then leave and do intuitive eating and health at every size and talk about That I can I can bring that here and I can share it with others and we can make this space really um, be a, a safe place for people to know yeah. that when you come here you don't have to worry about feeling guilt or shame or like we're selling you um, the next the next thing to improve your life. Like the experience is what's going to do that. Right. Like you don't, your body doesn't need to change and what you're eating doesn't need to change. Just, just keep showing up and let it be mental. Don't, don't let the physical stuff go. The mental change is what we're working on.
0: And my guess is so often we talk about like the theory of motivation and how motivation um, for behaviors gets shifted from external to internal. And like what we know is that it gets shifted and what we call integrated into more um, integrated motivation or intrinsic motivation where we're doing something because we enjoy the behavior itself or we enjoy the challenge in it or something inherent about that is, and I, 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 my best guess is like what we know is like the environment we never think about that we're always just like tell like you can't just be like I'm gonna think about it different and then be intrinsically motivated you have to put yourself in these environments that foster that and that's probably my guess is why people keep coming back because they feel seen and then they can feel safe to learn grow and challenge themselves in the way that feels best for them and so that is super cool. That would be my best guess. I don't know if you have thoughts about that, if that sounds accurate, but I can imagine that's something that I would feel in that environment. And, um, I don't necessarily, I don't know, I haven't done a lot of like spinning or that's just not, um, been my form of exercise. So I would be definitely a beginner and I would probably have a hard time at first learning to like it. Um, but I've, my guess is if that environment was set up in that way, I would have a much better odds of learning to like it and sticking with it um, than a different fitness feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's
1: always the idea of meeting you where you're at, right? Like, mm-hmm. yes, it's not for everyone. Absolutely. Um, it's loud, like there, you, there's music, it's, you know, it can feel intense. And I, I do understand that it can feel intimidating but the idea is that no one else is paying attention to you, right? Like this is your time. This isn't, yeah. you know, no one's coming up to you and saying, you know, go faster, go harder. Like we're, we're trusting that you know what you need to do. And sometimes that means that, you know, we're pushing ourselves on some days, but some days we're not pushing ourselves. You know, we're letting go of the idea that we don't always have to be doing better in our workout classes, right? Like we're allowed to have days where, you know, our, our, energy levels shift or you know maybe we we didn't sleep as well or maybe we didn't eat as as good of a breakfast as we needed to you know it's really honoring that like full body health mind body spirit
0: and my sense is like you're saying these kind of messages as you're teaching correct like cuz that would be authentic to you
1: yeah i would say so
0: yeah making yeah. sure you know one of my favorite things to say is you
1: know we have to do we, you know, we're, we're making change and we're working together to, um, to push ourselves and to challenge ourselves. But, you know, it's, this, I'm not coming from a physical space. Like I'm talking mentally, like I'm not, I don't, I don't care about physical changes. That's, that's not what we're here for. We're here for the mental piece. Like we're here for that mental change and experience.
0: Yeah. That's powerful. Nice. Thanks.
1: thanks.
0: Um, and Are there other, like, I'm so curious now, are there other messages that you love to say in your classes that we could all benefit from hearing? Oh gosh, you're throwing me. (laughs) I know, I'm throwing you curveballs. These are not on the list. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh. Um, I think just the the idea of
1: meeting yourself where you're at, um, allowing that, you know, these 45 minutes are yours. 45 minutes or no one else's, if your mind starts to wander coming back to, to the moment, um, allowing the theater, um, to be a safe place, you know, to, to feel like you're able to express yourself to know that, you know, you can close your eyes and just be in the moment and connect with the bike and connect with the earth even, and feel really grounded in that space. Um, I've been told that sometimes they have like a, a yoga voice. Well, uh-huh. um,
0: well, like, yeah, you're basically doing like mindful cycling, right? Like you're going to yeah. grounding and mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of parallels between the two. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it sounds
1: silly because one is, you know, uh, more of like a strenuous exercise, but I I think that's so limiting because to me, a yoga class is a strenuous exercise. And I, Mm -hmm. when I, and I guess it's the way that we, we use the word strenuous, right? Because mentally I walk into a yoga class and I am, I'm nervous. I'm my perfectionism wants to come through. Um, I know that maybe I'm not as flexible as I once was. I'm comparing myself. Like there's so many things that are happening in the yoga space That are strenuous, that it doesn't mean that we're just sweating a lot, right? And yeah, in the cycling space, there's a lot of sweatshirt that comes with it. And there's a lot of like high energy output. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's another thing too, right? Like we looking at fitness from a place of what am I here to gain? not what am I here to lose? Like this isn't about burning calories. This is about taking up space and learning how to stand in our ground and be more confident and be stronger in the way that we present ourselves in the world and the way that we're able to roll our shoulders back and push our chests out and, and pull out our hearts and express ourselves in that room allowing people to take that outside of the theater too and, and be more authentic and take up space in their worlds and in, in their friendships and families.
0: Yeah, you're giving people the opportunity to relearn the benefits of movement that is so often stripped with diet culture, right? Because I, I it's making me picture this um, handout that I used to give people. And it, I was trying it within the healthcare space to operate in like a non-weight focused framework, but it wasn't working really because of the environment mostly. And, um. but I would like this list was like the benefits of exercise that didn't have to do with weight. Right. And I would kind of share this, but like, I think you're teaching people through experience how to know those are the, the case, right? Like it's one thing to like read a list and be like, I could feel more confident, you know, and it's a whole nother thing to have a safe space to experience that. And it's, the latter is going to obviously be much more impactful on our actual motivation to do or not do a thing, but because of diet culture, like it's just so often completely stripped of the potential joy and exploring what kind of movements can help us to like be the person that we want to be and like feel alive and feel, feel good. And so that is super cool. Yeah. And
1: to add to that, that idea that like, um, Exercise is for weight loss, right? In the same way that eating healthy is for weight loss. If we're only eating healthy to lose weight and we're not able to lose weight, we're not going to be motivated to keep eating healthy, right? Yeah, what's
0: the point? It's not working, quote unquote. So why would we keep doing a thing?
1: Yeah. And it's the same thing with fitness. If we're continuing to show up to these classes, but our body's not changing, we're thinking something's wrong with us. So we're not going to keep going. It's not going to feel good. But if we're able to change that narrative and allow people to know that yes. It's is not about your body changing, right? Like you're here, you're healthier. Your endurance is improving. You're mentally feeling clearer When you walk out of this room, your confidence is improving. It's stripping it from the weight loss, because even if we are losing weight through exercise, what do we know? Like eventually there's going to be a plateau, right? And then what happens when that plateau likely happens is you're going to feel crappy and you might end up not, not even liking the cycling anymore. And, you know, that could turn into resentment or, um, that negative feeling every time you walk into that room or shame. Um, and so how can we make sure that it's always from this positive place? Like knowing, yeah, you can use it for wanting to lose weight, but that's not the only reason you're here.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm curious. And this is, um, oh, I feel like I'm just going off of my question list (laughs) that I had for you because this is just such a fun conversation, but like before we kind of go to our motivation questions, um, you know, something that I'm sure, you know, a lot of people struggle with, particularly right now, a lot of people are struggling with weight gain and just making peace with like a different size body and how that understandably makes people want to avoid exercise for all the reasons we're talking about, like not having safe spaces, but also because exercise makes us make contact with our body and that can be uncomfortable. And I'm curious if there's, anything that you like any suggestions you have for people in that space i know there's not like a quick fix for it right but and
1: you know i think there's the idea of buy buy clothes that fit you
0: right
1: yeah yeah buy workout clothes that fit you feel comfortable um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you shouldn't feel restricted
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know we'll go back to the things that i like to say in class you know i think a lot of us walk around sucking in all day. Right. We were kind of taught that.
0: I actually uh, just realized I was, I've been, I feel very free of diet culture for many years. And I was, um, seeing a physical therapist and realizing I was still accidentally doing it Yeah. in some ways. Like it was just like this old learning in my muscles. It's like very, I, I, in, in a way that was like messing up my, my diastasis recti after having kids. So it was just sort of interesting. Like I was like, I didn't even know that was I'm not trying to do that, but yes, sure. The force. I think that's definitely something a lot of people are doing by accident.
1: And I think there, it's, it's being sold a lot in fitness too, of, you know, this idea that by, you know, engaging your core is not sucking in your stomach.
0: Yeah. The so, flat stomach is not engaging your core. This is what I'm learning more yes. and more. Yeah. Yes.
1: And so sometimes what I'll say in class is, you know, form is really important to me. Like that's, that's my priority is that they feel that they're safe on the bike. And so we're bringing our hips back, we're dropping our shoulders. And then what I'll say is engage your core. Now relax your stomach. So we can feel engaged without sucking in our stomach, identifying that there's a difference between the two. Your stomach is allowed to to bulge. It's allowed to expand. It's your, you know, this whole idea of you're allowed to take up space on this bike. We're not here to shrink ourselves. We're not here to become smaller. We're here to learn how to walk around with a little bit more confidence and a little bit more, um, comfortability. And really, what do we know about, you know, the body acceptance movement is this idea of, you know, our self-efficacy is so much stronger. We feel more confident. Then we're in, we're more likely to show up for the classes too. You yeah. know, I think back on you know in my disordered um, stages of you know the amount of time that I would spend putting together an outfit to go to the gym. Like when I think back on that, I'm like, wow. So how can I show up with the microphone on at the podium? teaching the class and allow my, my stomach to protrude or to allow something not to look, you know, perfectly in alignment. Right. And when I started, that was very challenging for me, but it's this idea of we, if I can show up and show them that, you know, we don't have to look a certain way we can just be, and let's accept the fact that we're supposed to have and we're allowed to have fat on our bodies. Like that's, that's okay. That doesn't mean anything's wrong with us. We don't have to get rid of it. We don't have to always look wear the most flattering thing. And, yeah. you know, the more that we show up and do that, the easier it's going to get. So it's this idea of the first time it's going to be really uncomfortable, but you know what? Wear the sports bra, right? You know, yeah. take, take the shirt off in class, try it once, see how you feel. Yeah. Um, not to say that you have to do that to feel more confident, but little right. things like that being you you have
0: options. Yeah. 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 It's, it's fascinating. Like, it sounds like you, that's um, a recent discovery of mine. Not, not so much that I was like inadvertently holding in muscles and areas, but um, that like the best way for our core to function is like these expansive breaths where we're like actually widening our rib cage all over, as opposed to this weird, like almost like subconscious trying to flat. It's just um, there's so much, I think, opportunity for people to learn how to work with their body in a very functional way in within fitness. And I've mostly learned this from like women's health, physical therapists and uh, chiropractor, actually, which is something I never thought I would do, but I didn't learn this in any traditional sense. And so um, there's so much the thing that keeps coming to me is like there's so much for people listening, hopefully there's so much opportunity for um to for feeling better and reclaiming space in the world, but also reclaiming understanding about how your body can can feel good and in, in when it comes to movement. And so I hope people feel hopeful about that. Um because I think there's a lot of hope there. Yeah, yeah.
1: I really to, to follow up on what you said about your the stomach um and you know not indeed, not sucking in and how that was actually contributing to poor health outcomes for you right yeah. So oh yeah so it's healthier to let go of your stomach like there's it's just continuing to look back at all of these messages that we were sold something as simple as sucking in your stomach is harming our health right where yeah,
0: my pelvic floor function has improved since i've learned this like and i can therefore eventually when it gets not cold run again probably one day as opposed mm-hmm. to not being able to cuz some running yeah. i've actually been able to most of my life maintain a positive relationship with running but even if you even if i hadn't you can relearn that but yes yeah sure sure yeah so interesting yeah um well i want to shift to a couple of our motivation questions because and excuse me my <clears throat> i'm a- Getting over a little bit of a cold, um, but first we always like to ask people our question about intrinsic motivation. I'm curious, what's one thing you have truly intrinsic motivation for? So you do the behavior for the inherent satisfaction from the behavior. Uh, for example, enjoying it, finding it challenging or satisfying in its own right.
1: Really intense exercise.
0: Uh huh. Really. Go ahead. Have- tell us. Tell us what the process like did you lose that love? And what was the process of re- regaining that intrinsic motivation? If, if, if I'm assuming, right. <laughs> yeah.
1: And it all comes from the place that I was doing it. Cause I felt like I had to, yeah, it was, should. Point, right? it was external. Yeah. yeah. I was feeling like I had to, I was feeling like, um, you know, I had to maintain this, this, um, physique and this fitness level. And I mean, I think back and I was training like a college athlete, Like, I don't know what in my mind I thought I was doing, um, but I, there was so much, um, validation from that too. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but then in return, there was so much pressure and my workouts weren't fun anymore. I was requiring myself to do, I was requiring myself to follow these plans. And that means that sleep came second, right? You have to wake up at this time and you have to get this workout in and yeah. And it's not from a place. I wasn't thinking about my mental health, right? I wasn't thinking about how I was feeling before or after my, my sleep was crap. The way I was talking to myself was so negative. The way that I was looking at myself during the workouts in the mirror was so negative, comparing myself to other people in, in, in the gym. And it's like, sure. I might've looked like I was in great shape. I might've looked like I had all the motivation in the world, but you know what really was going on is i i was finding all that validation from all of these external reasons right and yeah i loved working out but it 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 wasn't a love anymore it was it was this idea that i had to but when i've been able to reclaim that you know i <laughs> i'm almost embarrassed to i hate to say that but i i go to orange theory once a week that's my thing i do a once a week membership uh, uh-huh. four times a month membership. And when I first started going there, um, you know, they're, they talk a lot mm-hmm. about the calories burned and they do the whole heart rate monitor thing. And I was like, I'm not getting a heart rate monitor. I'm here to get in a really strenuous, fun workout. But the difference is, is I'm only doing it one time a week because this workout is really intense and it's not good for my body to do it six, five to six days a week. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to honor I'm going to honor that. So that.
0: You're embarrassed because it's I don't know a ton about orange theory, but because it's pretty like calorie burn focused. Yes. Gotcha.
1: yes. Okay. So it's strenuous in the same sense that maybe a cycling class is, but the messaging yeah. feels so harmful that I almost feel inauthentic showing up to those classes because it's not in alignment with my values, but I enjoy the class and I enjoy. Mm-hmm the running and the heavy lifting. And it feels really empowering for me to do. But yeah, sometimes it can feel really
0: conflicting at the same time because, you know, I get that. Yes. Yeah. I have like the online, very affordable, like Beachbody program membership. And like, I listen, I like turn off the sound and I don't listen to all those. I think like Shanti's messages are pretty positive for the most part. Like the different instructors have different some messaging that I really hate and yeah. and yet it's like although I actually I've been thinking about canceling so I'm just not really using it but anyways like it's this balance because like we have to um we have what we have <laughs> and so we have to figure out a way to get the movement and that feels good for us and like is fits in our lifestyle and yet like Hopefully in the future, there will be more and more. I'm basically going to have to move to Detroit so I can start doing your class, even though spinning's not even my thing. But <laughs> just sounds so fun. It really does sound fun. And I could see how I would probably become interested. Like, I would probably love it because it sets up the environment. And I, I do some – I like challenging myself exercise-wise, but, like, I haven't really had a great opportunity to do so, mostly because my body is just, like – easing back in slowly, but, um, yeah, yeah. So, well, that's, that's interesting though. And, and so, yeah, but I think, yeah, no, no reason to have guilt. I think everyone's navigating (laughs) diet culture and fitness in the way that works for them. And the instructors there are lovely
1: and I've had private conversations with them too. And they totally like know where I'm coming from. And it's like one of those, just those, like just unspoken things of me just like prancing in there and like, not prancing, but going in there doing my thing and then just like running out and being like, okay, that
0: didn't happen. No one saw me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You're like, it's, it's, not. I don't know. No one knows, but who knows? Maybe there will be some ripple effect with those conversations eventually. Who knows? Um, and- yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's the goal, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And um, this might, I mean, I feel like we sort of talked about exercise a little bit being like a should to a choose to. And this is like our integrated motivation question that we've talked a little bit about kind of throughout, like how motivation become in, can become integrated. But there, are there any other examples of a behavior like that for you that were used to be a should, but you found a way to do more consistently, either because you value it, even if you don't necessarily always love it? <sighs>
1: You know, I think that just making like good food, mm-hmm. you know, making like a well-rounded meal or dinner, you know, yeah. instead of from that place of, oh my gosh, I have to eat a, a perfectly balanced meal. I know that it makes me feel good, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know that it gives me energy. I feel better. I might sleep better. Um, I, it's, it's self-care to prepare the food. Um, to be creative, to yeah. feel really satisfied from the meal, knowing that I put some time and energy into it. And it's not from a place of, oh, you know, you have to eat perfectly at, mm-hmm. at this meal. And that's why we feel good because you were good or eating something that's, that's, um, that makes you, um, good, but rather, you know, it, it feels nourishing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Again, when we take away the shame and morality, we can sort of just explore what works. And it sounds like somewhat of, it's like, it's consistent with your values to do that, but also like there's that creativity and sort of enjoyment inherent in it too, particularly when we remove the, the pressure. So all yes. sounds, mm-hmm. all sounds wonderful. And, um, the, the, The last question I'll ask that we're starting to ask all of our guests, which is a a really big part of our mission here at Psychology of Wellness and on this podcast is teaching particularly women to reclaim trust with their bodies so they can live more courageously, more connected. Do you have any examples of where you've been able to be more courageous or connected since jumping out of this sort of ineffective diet, chronic diet cycle?
1: Just continuing to show up authentically.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like we already kind of touched on it in terms of like you as an instructor, but maybe you broadly, it sounds like, like just being you in like all these different areas of your life.
1: Yeah. I, I attribute a lot of my success to, um, the way that I've been forced. I, I don't, I hate to use the word forced, but you know, you, if you have to continue to, to get on a podium and put a microphone on and show up, no matter what's going on in your life, when you consistently do that, it brings out a different, it, it inherently makes you a different person. And
0: it's almost like forced. I don't, I hate the term personal development. I don't know why, but like, I just do, but it's like kind of what it is (laughs) like forced personal growth, if you will. I don't know if that sounds accurate,
1: no, you're totally right. And it, it sounds like kind of silly and cheesy maybe, um, but it's genuinely true. And it's, yeah. you know, it's, I think it's made me, um, it's made me realize that, you know, I, I think in the non-diet space, sometimes we can feel like the diet culture is so strong that like, do we belong or are our messages being heard and listened to? And to realize that they are, and to, you know, to be able to work with so many people and helping them have a healthier relationship with food and their body, and to change that narrative, I think there's something to be said about how much our clients and the way that they continue to show up for themselves inspires us to to be able to show up for ourselves and to see them do hard things helps us be able to know that we can do hard things too. So I it's really, it, it goes both ways, right?
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, in terms of like forced personal growth, there's like lots of things that serve that for me. And, uh, it's like, it just kind of is what it is actually, yeah, podcasting, business owning, parenting, and yeah. being a therapist really. So I have lots of opportunities, but, yeah. um, kind of like just knowing like that's, it brings up discomfort and like, that's okay. That's good. Um, And so those are, yeah, great examples.
1: I think another thing that's really interesting um, is I feel like when it comes to working with others, you know, if you talk to someone about their, their lives and it's like, okay, so what, if you don't trust yourself with food, what do you trust yourself with? And some of them might say, oh, you know, with work or in their relationships or in their families, you know, you, you, you have so much trust there, but like, where's the disconnect with food. Right. And for myself personally, I've always had that really, and not always obviously, but more recently, what I felt most confident with in, in my personal life was my relationship with food and trusting my body and trusting its needs and what it's asking for, and being able to listen so clearly to that. And that's helped me listen to other things that my body is saying in other parts of my life, whether that's family, relationships, work, being able to honor that, like, I innately know what I need to do. If I'm listening, I'll be able to hear it. And what, what distractions are coming up that are making me not be able to listen to what my body is actually saying beyond the food. And yeah.
0: Oh yeah. A hundred percent. For some reason, like, I don't even know why I just I'm like having a lot of like emotions as we talk today, but mm-hmm. it's, I've, I've had a similar experience and um, yeah, like it just frees up more emotional energy where you can focus on these other things. And actually last summer after my grandfather died, I kept having this reaction where I was like, you shouldn't be or like, I was just like very, had a, like a lot of grief come up at certain times, which is, I know logically like really normal, but I had this experience of like, my body knows how much like I need to cry. And so I was like letting it just do its thing. And it was like in the car by myself because I have two kids and I don't get a lot of time by myself. So it's like, yeah, like you need to cry now. And like, that's okay. And like, it, it's, so it's all connected. And I think you're Bringing that together very well and in in very insightful ways.
1: Uh, no, I love that you said that, and honestly, that just brings us back to the word permission, right? Like permission to move your body the way you need to, to eat the way that you that feels nourishing, and to cry when you need to, right? Like you have permission to do what your body's asking for, and instead of fighting it, how can we just listen a little bit more closely and allow these these shifts to happen?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And ironically, permission is what gives flexible control. <laughs> like it's such a, such a weird paradox, right? Like yeah. And, and not that it's always we're controlled and we always can decide if we cry or not or we but yet it kind of gives us more flexibility. Like in my life now, whereas when I was more emotionally suppressed, the crying would feel less controllable. Whereas Mm -hmm. now, like I feel it, but I mean, I could cry now. It'd be fine. But like, it's also, I don't have to, like, I have more flexible control. And so, yes. (laughs) That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of your wisdom and sharing. I really had so much fun talking with you today. Um, Where can people learn more about the work that you're doing and connect with you?
1: Sure. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at tap into nutrition, or you can find my website, which is tap into nutrition.net. So not.com.
0: We will link all of that. Well, thank you. Is there any final messages? I mean, there's been so many good takeaways here. So like, I don't even know. You'll just have to repeat something you already said, but like any final takeaways you want people to take away from this conversation? Uh,
1: you know, maybe that we're allowed to rewrite our relationship with movement and with food. Yeah. We're allowed to to have flexibility with that. Right.
0: Yes. Yep. And and like you said, it's not always focused on, um, explicitly and there's so much benefit for doing so. So very cool. Well, thank you so much, Samantha. Maybe we're on a Sam basis now, but um, (laughs) I really appreciate you and your time today. This has been so fun.
1: Thank you. It was a joy to be able to talk with you.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Just a final reminder that if you've been listening for a while and you want to learn more from me, hang out with me live, learn about intuitive eating and a non-diet approach, make sure that you sign up for our free masterclass, the top five questions I get about intuitive eating and a non-diet approach, the top one being, but will it help me lose weight? So make sure if you're not already signed up that you do so and you can get all of the free bonus content that I give away only during the live masterclass. So Make sure you sign up for free at drshawnhondorp.com forward slash masterclass, and I will see you there. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable, and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard, and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.